Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, it's good seeing you this morning as we continue our series on experiencing Christ together. Um, before we begin, let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. And, um, and I'm, I want to pray a special prayer for a young girl from <clears throat> Ben Lippin, uh, who was in a severe car wreck. Her name is Jessica, and uh, she's not doing well. So we just want to lift her up and lift her family up. So let's, let's do pray. And you agree with my prayers as I pray, okay? Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together as your people and to worship you to study your word together. And, uh, and so right now, uh, we pray in our Christian community. Um, someone who's not a part of Gateway, but she's part of our Christian family. And so we lift up Jessica, who was in this horrific uh, accident. And, uh, and so I, I know her family is distraught, and, and uh, she is in serious condition. And she has excellent physicians that are nurses that are working with her. Uh, but we as a body of believers pray for your intervention. Uh, we pray that you will touch her body, that you will, you will get her out of the danger, and that you will allow healing to begin to take place. And, and we do pray for a recovery. And so we agree together as brothers and sisters that this will uh, become true. And we take serious what your word says when two or more of us agree on something that you hear and that brings power to that prayer. So we thank you in advance that you're right now are drawing close to the family. Uh, you are drawing close to her, that uh, you are uh, bringing healing. And uh, Father, I just pray that you will give that family and give Jessica uh, what they need to face the future and that um, you will just be with them every step of the way. And so we trust this to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, um, leadership is a spiritual gift. And so it's easy to say, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of leadership, so therefore today's message doesn't really impact me. But that's not true at all, because even though the gift of leadership is given to certain individuals for the positions, the roles, the responsibilities that God has given them, we are all actually called to lead. So if you're a parent, you're called to lead your, your, your uh, children. Uh, husbands, you're called to lead your family spiritually. Uh, if you're a teacher, you're leading the class, the students. Uh, if you are an employer, you, you are leading your employees. If you're a supervisor at work, you are leading those that are under you. But even in, in everyday life, you're called to lead others to Jesus. Uh, you're called to lead your friends to uh, knowledge of Christ, and you're called to lead each other, to spur each other on in your walk with Jesus. So we are really all called to lead. So that's why that's included in one of the five messages on how we experience Christ together, is that we learn to lead properly. And 
I, I want to start with um, mainly, we're, we're going to mainly look at the words of Jesus today. Uh, there are one or two other verses that are, that are not from him, but we're going to focus on what Jesus said about all of this. So let's begin to talk through, we're going to look at seven areas that you are necessary to understand what leading is all about and how important that it is. So first is identification, that you've got to know who you are. You've got to know who God has made you to be. I mean, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life, and on and on and on. Jesus knew exactly who he was. The sooner you accept who God made you to be, the sooner you will know his purpose for your life. The sooner that you find the purpose for your life, the sooner you will find your voice. You know, one of the reasons why a lot of people uh, are frustrated, a lot of people run into brick walls, they're always trying to be somebody else's voice. Uh, they're trying to imitate someone else's voice. I, I remember when I f first started um, preaching, uh, I would listen to a lot of um, preachers and I, would, I wanted to learn and, um, and I would start trying to imitate their voice that God had given them, not the way they talked. Uh, I didn't try to mimic their voice, but I tried to become their voice. And, and God said, no, Don, that's not the way it works. I've given you a voice that's just for you. And God has given each of you a voice that's just for you. So the sooner you accept God that he made you, the sooner you will find your purpose and the sooner you will find your voice. And then the sooner you find your voice, the sooner you will find fulfillment, real fulfillment. I mean, the sooner you will f feel like I'm doing something with my life that matters. I'm being who God's created me to be. And I want to tell you, the sooner you find fulfillment, the sooner you're going to find peace, happiness, joy. I'm convinced... Many Christians do not experience peace and joy and happiness simply because they're trying to be somebody else's voice or they're trying to please and become the voice that somebody else told them to be, not who God told them to be. And the reason so many believers don't know who their voice, what their voice really is, is because they don't know their purpose and they don't know their purpose because they have not accepted the fact that God made them and has a purpose for them. Jesus knew this. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am one witness and my father who sent me is the other. I'm the witness. I'm the witness of God's love. I'm the witness of God's forgiveness for you. I, I am. That's who he was. And you could take this verse of Jesus and implant yourself in that verse. You can say, I am 
one witness of Jesus. And my Father who sent me, he sent you, he made you, and he has sent you to be a witness. So know who you are. And don't apologize about it. I, I, um, there's a lot of things I, I don't do. And, uh, and I, don't, I just, a long time ago, I just quit apologizing about things I cannot do. I, I remember one time I was dealing with, I was in another church and we were buying a piece of property and, and, um, and the way the constitution worked in that church, the pastor had to be there because normally I'm not here. I'm not involved in any of that stuff. And, and so the, the businessman in the church that kind of did all these things and we went and had the meeting to negotiate and all that stuff. I didn't want to be there. And after the meeting, the past, you know, this other business guy who was a very successful business guy looked at me. He said, you're no businessman. And I looked at him. I said, yeah, that's right. Why am I here? I didn't, I didn't back down. I didn't apologize. I said, that's why you're here. God's not called me to be a businessman. I'm glad you're who you are, but that's not who I am. I just quit apologizing. I, I'm not going to apologize to you for who God didn't make me to be. And the sooner you quit doing that, in fact, let me go ahead and tell you. If you spend the rest of your life trying to be who your grandmother wanted you to be, the sooner you can find real fulfillment. Think about in terms of who God wants you to be. Number two is motivation. Know who I am trying to please. You know, if you spend your time trying to please your friends, that's not going to work out too well for you. I, I've got to decide who am I really trying to please. And if I believe scripture, and I do, then I'm here to please God. Jesus, here's what he said. I can do nothing on my own. Now, Jesus said that. Think about that. The guy who created the universe. He said, I can do nothing on my own. <clears throat> I, ju I judge as God tells me. I do whatever the Father tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because, here it is, and this is, needs to be true for you, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So I guess the question is, why do you not trust God's will for your life? I've got to decide who I'm trying to please. You're here to please God. You're here to please him. When I first went into youth ministry, I, you know, I loved my grandparents and I was very respectful of my grandparents. And one time I was over at my, my dad's parents' house and and I was in college and I'd started working as a youth minister and, and, and my hair was a little longer and this is, you know, early seventies, everybody's hair was a little longer. And, uh, my grandfather looked at me and he said, when are you going to get a haircut? And, uh, why, why do you wear your, I mean, why don't you wear your hair short? And I thought, what, how am I going to respond to this? 
And I just looked at him with all, all sincerity, but also with clarity, but respect. And I said, well, Grandpa, I'm trying to reach students for Jesus. And just like the Bible says, Paul said, I become all things to all people. I try to identify with them as, in, as much as I can in order to win some. And he never brought it up again. I mean, he was a believer and he understood what I was saying. So I was respectful, but truthful. And it was a nice way of saying, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make Jesus happy. And because you're a believer, you ought to be happy that I'm making Jesus happy. So Jesus said, I'm here to carry out the one who sent me. So decide who sent you. Jesus, you know, he has sent you. And so you're here to please him. Not even your own self. It's not about you. So why do you not trust God's will? That's a question some of you really need to ask yourself. Why is it that I don't trust God's will? Why is it that I don't even want to know God's will? In fact, Jesus put it this way. He, he said, no one can serve two masters. He didn't say most people cannot. He said no one. That's all inclusive. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and you'll love the other. Period. You will be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. These are emphatic statements by Jesus. He said this is the way it is. He said, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, he did not say it's wrong to have money. He did not say it's wrong to make money. He said, enslaved, controlled by. It's your focus of your life to accumulate. And he said, if that's your goal, then you're enslaved by it. And you cannot. Here again, he didn't say you probably won't. He said, you cannot serve God and something else or someone else. So who are you going to please? You, you got to figure it out. And um, choosing to please God does not give you permission to be rude to other people. I'm just here to make God happy. I don't care how I make you feel. Doesn't say that. And then Jesus said in verse 4 of chapter 17 of John, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, wouldn't that be an amazing epitaph for your tombstone? He completed the work God gave him to do. She completed the work God gave her to do. What a great statement. If that can be said about you at the end of your life, that's amazing, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, and that pleases God. So why not live your life in such a way that that can be said of you? Well, live your life in such a way that the preacher doesn't have to lie about you at your funeral. 
You know, I'm, I'm going to be doing Mary's mother's funeral on Tuesday, and I don't have to tell any lies because she completed God's purpose and plan for her life and left an amazing legacy. Amazing. Number three, clarification. Know what I want to accomplish. You know, um, floodlights just are a widespread of light energy, and, and it just kind of lights everything up. And, you know, a floodlight's good for that. You know, it kind of you know, puts a lot of light out there, but as far as power and stuff, it, you know, it's just a floodlight. It's, just, it's diffused power. Now, a spotlight is a little stronger. It's more focused, and it zeroes in on an area, and, and you can't look into a spotlight because it'll really hurt your eyes. But then there's a laser. You know, you talk about focused energy and power. You take that laser, and you focus that thing down to a beam, and it'll cut through steel. Many of you are trying to live your lives like a floodlight. You're trying to make everybody happy. You're trying to please everybody. You're trying to do everything. And your life is kind of washed out. But if you want your life to be so focused that it could cut through steel, you, you've got to become a laser beam. I mean, you, you've got to know what you're here for. You've got to know who you belong to. You've got to know who you're trying to please. And you've got to know what you want to accomplish. I'm, this is where I'm going. I want to tell you, anybody that wins a gold at Olympics, their life has been a laser beam for years. Because if they weren't, they wouldn't even get to the Olympics. John chapter 8, Jesus said, These claims are valid even though I make them about myself. And, and here's what he says. For I know where I came from. I know where I am going. But you don't know this about me. I mean, Jesus was clear. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. And I am a laser beam focus on what God has called me to do. I know what I'm going to accomplish. And he was so zeroed in on that that there was a time when one of his disciples, when Jesus started telling his disciples, hey, I've come to die. The day's coming where we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And um, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm going to accomplish. And, and one of his disciples said, um, hey, not, not on my watch. As long as you got me as one of your disciples, they're not going to hang you on a cross. And Jesus looked at his beloved disciple and he said, this guy that he loved and been training for three years, and he said to him, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, whoa. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, you are Satan. But what he was saying in that statement is, you're an agent of the evil one. If you're trying to divert me from God's purpose for my life. When you zero in on what God wants you to do, sometimes your close Christian friends 
could be the, an agent of Satan, not, not willingly. I mean, it's not like they prayed to Satan and said, now tell me how I can discourage my friend here. No, no. They may mean it, they may mean it as they think they're trying to protect you from something, or may, they may mean it as they're, they, they think you're not looking at it correctly. And they are actually diverting you, trying to get you to get back to being a floodlight instead of a laser beam, because they don't like it. They don't like what it means to them personally. You know, maybe you're called to go to the mission field or you're called to do this. And, and wait a minute, I want you to stick around here. And it's kind of like when your friend says, hey, I believe God's calling me to move over here and take this job. Wait a minute, I, I want you, you're my buddy. I don't want you to leave. And, you know, there's, that's okay. You love them and you want that. But when you try to stop them, you, you are diverting them from what God has for them to do. You know, so a good Christian friend would say, you know, I don't like it, but I sure support you in doing what God's called you to do. See, that's different, right? Jesus also said, I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns, because this is why I was sent. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, I've got to do this. I, I, this is what I'm for. This is why I'm here. I have to do this. Can you be that emphatic about what you're trying to accomplish? I want to tell you, if you're not accomplishing and trying to accomplish what God's will is for your life, you're probably going to be easily diverted. Number four, collaboration. This kind of goes back to what we talked about last week. We work best in small groups. I mean, it's the pattern Jesus established. Rarely, rarely does God call somebody to be a lone wolf. I mean, John the Baptist may have appeared to have been a loner. In fact, you think he's alone, except he had disciples. You might miss that in Scripture. And one of the reasons why we know he has disciples is that some of his disciples started following Jesus when Jesus showed up. So he even had disciples. Jesus uh, appointed 12 people and he called them his apostles. They were to accompany him. And he would send them out to preach, but he never sent them alone. He always sent them in, at least in groups of twos, giving them authority to cast out demons. I mean, he was giving them real authority, heaven authority. And, and when God calls us out to accomplish something, he never means for us to do it alone. I mean, that's why you have your life group. You do life together. That's why I love the senior staff that you've allowed me to bring to Gateway because we do life together. Jesus said in Matthew, my soul is crushed. I want you to get this whole picture and what led up to this. He said, my soul is crushed. Imagine Jesus said that. My soul is crushed and, and grieved to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Now, let me paint the scene of what's going on as to why that statement was even made. It was that Thursday night that Jesus would be arrested. The next day, he was going to be crucified. And Jesus knew that very well. I mean, he'd been telling his apostles about that. He'd been telling them, and and they didn't get it. And so he took the 11. See, uh, Judas had already gone his own way to cut his deal because he, Judas lived for money. And uh, so the 11 disciples went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I tell you, every time I go to the Garden of Gethsemane, that's one of the most powerful places to be. Um, we're not absolutely sure exactly where Jesus was crucified. We're not absolutely sure where he was buried. They're two, one of two places, but we absolutely are sure of the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there's some olive trees in there. They were, the garden is a garden of olive trees, and there are some olive trees that were there in the time of Jesus. And you go and you put your hands on that one of those olive trees and you just, it just overwhelms you. So Jesus went there like he had many times before with his 11 disciples. And he left the bulk of them, eight, near the entrance. He took his three close ones, Peter, James, and John, and they went further into the garden. And Jesus said, now, keep watch. Keep watch. Pray. And then Jesus went even further into the garden by himself. And he did spiritual battle the most intense spiritual battle ever. He came back to the three disciples, and guess what? They were sound asleep. And he woke them up. He, he said, guys, you know, keep watch. Pray for me. I, my soul is crushed. I, I'm grieving to the point of death. And he went back in further and prayed. And he came back <laughs> again, and guess what? They were sound asleep. And he, you know, he's like, if you guys really knew what was in the balance, you would fervently be praying. You see, because what was in the balance was humanity. Your soul was in the balance. The decision he was about to make would determine whether you and I would ever have salvation, would ever get to go to heaven. I mean, that's what was in the balance. And it was a, this is the most intense battle Jesus ever fought. And he literally did grieve to the point of death. I mean, they believe that the capillaries came in contact with his sweat glands and therefore blood started actually coming through his sweat, which was a very serious medical condition and you could die from it. I I think he was literally at the point of death in the garden. That's how intense he was praying. 
I mean, I have to be honest, I never, I've never prayed with intensity just to even break a sweat. But imagine praying with the intensity that you're sweating blood. Because Jesus did not, he did not want to have a separation between him and his father. Because for eternity, they have been one, never separated. And when Jesus went to the cross, he was going to become sin. And God the Father would turn his back on God the Son. And that's when Jesus would pray and say, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus did not want that. Even, even though it's going to be for a brief moment, he didn't want it for a nanosecond. And I want to tell you something. Jesus could have said, I'm done. Father, I want to come home right now. And a legion of angels would have come down and escorted him back to his kingdom. And you and I would have no hope. Those three disciples had no clue how deep Jesus' prayers were. God even sent angels to minister to Jesus. I think physically, not just spiritually. Jesus had a laser beam focus a laser beam focus on what he was there to accomplish. And praise God, the most important prayer Jesus uttered, not my will, Father, but yours. That's your and my only hope is the fact that he prayed that prayer. Your will. Your will. There's a fifth statement. A, a prayer of concentration. You got to focus on what is important. The Bible says in Luke 9, as the time drew near for him to send to heaven. Now, this was written before he went to the garden, before he was arrested, before he was crucified. But Jesus, the statement was made in terms of ascending to heaven because Jesus is already looking at the end result. He knew what he was going to go through, but he was looking beyond it. And he knew that the time was coming. He was going back to heaven. And then it says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Nothing was going to deter him at this point. How resolute are you? about God's will in your life, God's purpose for your life. Is it something that you think about 24-7? It ought to be. Is it something that you pray about constantly? It should be. Is it something that drives you and you're going to let nothing interfere with it? I would hope so. A good prayer would be, Lord, let me be resolute like Jesus was about his purpose. In fact, Jesus said in Luke, he said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Let, let me explain what that verse means because it's a little confusing. Because I want to tell you, there have been times I look back 
You know, it's kind of like, all right, what would have been my life been like if I hadn't gone in the ministry? And, and that's looking back a little bit. Um, and, and I didn't lose my salvation when I did that. So, but here's what he's saying. He said, look, whenever you keep focusing on what's behind you, when you're plowing, and that's the example he used because they would understand it. When you keep looking back and then you turn back to the front, you're going to find that you're row that you've been plowing is all over the place. You know, I mean, if you want to experiment, go get on the interstate and do nothing but look over your shoulder behind you and tell me how quickly you hit a car and how quickly you run off the road, how quickly you hit the barrier in the middle. Oh, you got to keep looking forward. And every once in a while you glance up in the rear view mirror, but you don't stay focused on the rear view mirror. You keep looking forward. Because I want to tell you, what's back there, here's what happens when you glance back. Satan wants to show you your failures. You think God can use somebody like you? Don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember how you treated that person? Don't you remember this and remember that? Why do you think God can use somebody like this? So Satan's going to remind you of that. Another thing he reminds you of is your successes. Hey, that was really fun. You, you need to just keep reliving that. You need to go back to these glory days. You need to, you know, when you were having fun and enjoying yourself and not focusing on what lies ahead. Because Jesus doesn't promise that what lies ahead is going to be easy. In fact, he promises the opposite. It's going to be hard. Concentrate on what is important. Number six, meditate. That means listen to God continually. Let me just read a couple of verses. <clears throat> Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I mean, he didn't want to have any distractions whatsoever. When you spend time in prayer, you cannot have concentrated prayer while the TV's on. Or while you look at your iPhone every time it beeps. You got to put that thing, you got to turn it off. You got to set it aside. Put it in another room. And, you know, stay away from it for an hour because it's really cool when you come back and everybody's saying, where have you been? <laughs> you didn't answer my text. Or it makes you feel bad when nobody noticed. <laughs> Listen to God continually. In Luke chapter 5, but despite Jesus' instruction, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Of course they did. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So where's your wilderness where you cannot be distracted and pray? Find, find out where your wilderness is. The last one, relaxation. <clears throat> if you're really going to lead and lead well, you've got to learn to relax. I mean, Jesus said so. He did it. In Luke chapter, Mark chapter 6, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and relax a while. Let's play some games and tell jokes. Let's laugh. He said this because there were so many people coming and going to Jesus that his disciples didn't even have time to eat. <clears throat> There's always going to be ministry. 
always something to do. And in the middle of all that, Jesus said, hey guys, we're going to go, we're going to take a break, we're going to rest for a while. So that says to me it was more than a couple of days, probably. So let me close with three secrets of lasting leaders. Number one, divert daily. Every day, take a 15-minute mental break. Two, withdraw weekly. That's your, that's your um, Sabbath. I mean, uh, leave work where work is. And if your work is at home and you work from home, that means leave your house. Withdraw weekly for a day. And this one's just as important. You've got to abandon annually. I mean, take a vacation. This is not going to go see family because that's called obligation. <laughs> take a vacation. Go do stuff you like to do. I mean, it takes me a week just to unwind. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. That's how you maintain yourself. That's how Jesus did it. So, how well are you leading? You may not have the spiritual gift of leadership, but you are called to lead.